This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's the last day of May. It's uh, the morning after the morning after the Alberta election and uh, the eyes of the nation still on the western province that drives much of Canada's economy. Welcome to Real Talk. Proudly coming to you live from Edmonton, Alberta, Alberta's capital city, the city of around a million people that voted nothing but NDP MLAs. Now, what does this mean for Edmonton in a province that will be governed by a united conservative government, uh, by an MLA premier out of southern Alberta that has said that she'll get her take on issues that matter to Edmonton from a, a consortium, if you will, a panel of failed united conservative candidates, the ones that didn't win but are based out of Edmonton. We're going to dig into this today and not just the focus on the government, on the United Conservatives, but as well the official opposition. As NDP leader Rachel Notley pointed out on election night, on Monday night, it's the largest opposition party in Alberta's history. But do you really care about that? If you're an NDP supporter, isn't right now the initial sting still so very visceral isn't it salt in the wound to start talking about things like what do they do in opposition or what does the future of Rachel Notley look like or are there other leadership contenders in play? If you're an NDP supporter, you wanted to win this thing. You were expecting to win this thing and you didn't. So where do you go from here? What does the political landscape look like over the next three or six or 36 months? We're going to get into it today with the lead columnist for Canada's National Observer. That's Max Fawcett. He's been writing a whole bunch about this. And Johnny, he's the former editor of Alberta Oil Magazine as well. So I want to talk to him about Mm -hmm. our conversation with Dr. Mark Crawford yesterday from Athabasca University, who made an important and obvious point that while both Notley's NDP and Smith's UCP promised to Albertans, they didn't put it like this, <laughs> but they promised that they'd both spend a whole bunch. Yes. Of course, their ability to do that and stay out of deficit relies we'll a lot see. on the price of oil. Oil dipping yesterday down below $70 a barrel. If anybody can understand this in layperson's terms, lay it out for us. It's Max, and so we'll go there. Amazing. This episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at Rello. Are you thinking about a career? in real estate i mean at one point or another who hasn't right if you want to find out more about becoming a real estate agent it's so simple to simply visit rello.ca that's r-e-l-o.ca why well rello offers better real estate training professional expert webinars entertaining podcasts and excellent customer service rello's content is targeted so that you can meet exam criteria And here's the rub, in the quickest amount of time. Who doesn't want to make it happen right now? Rello will help you learn anytime, anyplace, at your own pace. There's honestly no better time to start your real estate career. The market's healthy right now. And there's no better place to do it than rello.ca. 
we continue to underestimate Danielle Smith and she keeps pulling it off. A year ago, wouldn't have thought that she'd take the UCP leadership. A lot of people got that wrong. Six months ago, people thought that the NDs had a clear victory ahead of them. Did the UCP win this election or did the NDP lose it? I don't know that the UCP ran a great campaign, but I don't think the NDP did either. For a lot of people, it was missing a shot on an empty net. That was Edmonton City Councilor Sarah Hamilton on this show yesterday. And by the way, if you're not following Real Talk RJ on Instagram and Twitter, make sure you do so you can catch more highlights like that, all deftly edited and presented by the show's intrepid technical producer, John Hicks. Oh, thank you very much. And I'm so stoked for, you know, I often don't use the animal analogies, but today I'll say Max Fawcett is going to be like a bull in a china shop when he gets on the show here today. Well, let's see if he is. I want to find out if he believes that the NDs missed a shot on an empty net. If the United Conservatives won or if the NDP lost, Max Fawcett is the lead columnist for Canada's National Observer and a good friend of this show. It's nice to see your face again. Uh, Yours as well, Ryan. And I do want to apologize for my uh, early 2020 quality Zoom background here. We're we're actually in the middle of a move, and this is the only space in the house that I could... uh, find that was not in total chaos so uh, again apologies to the viewers okay well most people will be listening on the podcast so for their benefit let, let me let them know uh, that you're joining us with the background of, a, of, of of sort of a a loosely made bed the the the, the bed making is akin to like <laughs> sort of like brad pitt's mid-90s hair it's like it's it's it, it's neat but it's also intentionally just the tiniest little bit messy um i like where you've gone with that i personally the first two seconds i saw it thought it might have been an homage to Charles Adler. I mean, everything I do on some level is an homage to Charles Adler. So yes. uh, take that for what it's worth. Yes. So there you go. Well, congratulations on the move. Uh, there's probably metaphors that we could find and explore about packing boxes and moving and new territory and all that kind of stuff. But but why don't we get right into it? Uh, when we posted Councillor Hamilton's take yesterday, some people agree and some people very strongly disagreed with her assessment that the UCP didn't necessarily win this election in so many ways as the NDP lost this election. I mean, we know what the result is, so maybe we're splitting hairs here, but what's your assessment? I don't think the net is ever empty for progressives in Alberta. I think, you know, the net is filled with these these bricks that have been put there, uh, you know, sort of by generations of, of conservative voting and conservative leaning media. So th- the window for them to win was always smaller than an empty net. But you know, I think the Conservatives ran a pretty good campaign. I mean, it was a cynical campaign. It, you know, it kept the leader basically invisible, hidden from media. Uh, they made very few announcements. They they really just kind of let the NDP uh, play their hand. And, and the NDP played their hand really badly. Um, you know, I I think going into the going into the campaign on day one, they had a good chance to win. And and I don't really understand why they didn't learn the lessons from 2019, which is you know, in 2019, they made it all about Jason Kenney. They made it all about emphasizing his negatives, how terrible he was, uh, all of the bad things he'd said in the past. And look, fair game. That happens in every election. But they didn't do a very good job in 2019 of explaining their own record, of championing the good things that they did while in government. And they made the exact same mistake this time. They barely mentioned um, the things they did while in government. Uh, it really kind of felt like they were the incumbent uh, defending a, their record rather than the UCP, which has been in power for four very difficult and tumultuous years. Um, you know, I was listening to a CBC podcast last night uh, where the conservative campaign manager, Steve Outhouse, said that the corporate tax increase announcement 
was a gift from the NDP. And I could not agree more. I, I don't understand what they were thinking with that. I, I, it makes no sense to me at all. Uh, I have a column about it today. I'm sure I will be talking about it for months to come. One of the biggest blunders, I think, in Canadian political history. Um, and it's a blunder that the NDP has made before. They made it in 2015 with Tom Mulcair. Um, you know, th their fixation on trying to prove to people that they can balance budgets, uh, I think, has, has cost them more than more than two elections, at least at this point. And I really hope that they go and learn something from this because, uh, you know, if they come out in 2027 or whenever the next election is and say, hey, look, we're going to balance the budget, they're just going to lose again um, because that's not what people vote NDP for. So are you saying um, are you saying that it's a legitimate perspective that it that it's a winnable position uh, to 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 refuse to promise or to ignore uh, the appeal of presenting a balanced budget? In other words, to say we might not balance, we might run perpetual perennial deficits. You think that's a winnable position? Well, I think we saw in 2015 at the federal level that it, it is a very winnable position. The you know Mulcair's NDP came out, said, look, this is how we're going to balance the budget. We're fiscally prudent. We're not going to overspend. And the Trudeau Liberals came out and said, we'll run deficits for as long as it takes to get things right in this country. And people said, oh, I like the sound of that a lot more. Um, you know, I think when you ask people about deficits and balanced budgets in a vacuum, they say deficits bad, balanced budgets good. But in the context of a campaign, in the context of making choices about their own life, that's someone else's problem. Um, you know, and so I suspect the NDP polled on which which people prefer a corporate tax hike, a personal tax hike, or a sales tax, and it, in that menu of choices, a corporate tax hike sounds better to most people. But when you drop it into the middle of a campaign, where you have a reputation, fair or not, of being bad with the economy, and you have a media uh, environment and certainly an, uh, a political party that is going to weaponize that announcement to sort of reactivate people's fears about your economic stewardship you're handing your opponent a sharp stick and they're going to hit you over the head with it many, many times. And that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, both numbers presented by both parties are accurate. You know, the NDP, I think when you present and I'm just I'm not an economist, obviously, I'm just someone who tries to keep his finger on the pulse of the public to try to understand how things are landing and how things are going to play. If you say we're going to raise the corporate tax rate from eight to 11 percent, people go, yeah. But if you're a conservative who's opposing an NDP candidate and you rightfully point out that that represents a 38% tax increase in that context for corporations, it's a whopper of a number. And I think it makes it quite easy uh, to, uh, to oppose that proposed rate to say, if you were a business owner or if you were somebody that was staring down a nearly 40% tax increase what types of confidence would you have in your government what might you expect with regards to economic stability and what types of tough decisions might you make and i actually am surprised the conservatives didn't hammer that harder uh maybe they felt like they didn't need to maybe they felt like they hit that nail on the head just right but but i agree with you i think that that might have been the number one issue uh, that the ndp failed to see coming yeah, it's astonishing because people had been warning them, including, you know, me and Evan Scrimshaw on your show a few months ago, that they needed to have an economic story to tell people. And the economic story that they told Albertans in this election was, we're going to raise taxes on corporations, we're going to make it harder for big business, um, and we're going to play into the narrative that conservatives have been telling about us uh, since 2015. 
Uh, I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but they should never be allowed anywhere near a political campaign in this country again. It would be the equivalent of the UCP coming out mid-campaign and announcing that they were striking a panel on privatizing healthcare, right? So, you know, suddenly all of the NDP's warnings that, that you know, they're coming for your healthcare, they want to privatize your healthcare, then they'd be able to go, see, we were right. And it was the exact same thing on the NDP side. It, it was proof of all the things that conservatives had been saying, again, mostly unfairly about the NDP's economic record for years. So I, you know, I just, it's so frustrating to watch. It's kind of a weird question. I acknowledge Max, because essentially I'm just about to ask you right now, if it's okay uh, for political parties to really like lie to the public. Um, So I don't know where you're going to take it with your answer, but are political parties obliged to campaign on everything that they're planning on doing? I mean, you remember when Rachel Notley introduced the carbon tax after being elected in 2015, the biggest criticism from Jason Kenney ultimately and the conservatives was that she did not campaign on this. She didn't campaign on the carbon tax. Well, there's a lot of things that I think everybody assumes that Danielle Smith is going to prioritize because she said that she would before the campaign period. Things like an Alberta pension, things like an Alberta police force, you know, perhaps implementing or, or, or making a, a more tangible impact with this Alberta Sovereignty Act. Nobody really knows what that's going to look like quite yet, but she didn't campaign on those things. I'm not sure that that would preclude her from implementing them. Did the NDP have to campaign on increasing the corporate tax rate or could they have just done it after they got elected? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, no, they didn't have to do it. Politics is not fair. Politics is not... Um you know, this, this gentlemanly, uh, you know, uh, you know, Mark rule, what is it? The Marquess of Queensbury rules or whatever it is. Um, this is not a fair fight. It is, it is the way it is. And, you know, I've heard some people complain, oh, you know, the, the deck is stacked against the NDs. They, they don't get enough credit for their economic policies. And that's a hundred percent true and too bad. That's the way it is. You got to play the, the hand as it's, as it's laid out. And so, no, they didn't have to talk about this. What they could have done is done exactly what Danielle Smith and said, you know, we will table this for, for after the election uh, when we can talk to, you know, the, the right experts and sit down with the business community and really find out what they think is best and what we think is best. And we'll come to an agreement. Um, you know, you punt. Punting is a perfectly valid move in football. You don't have to try to throw a touchdown on every play. Uh, you would lose every game you played if you if you ran your offense that way. And it's, it's the same thing here. Um, my, you know, my advice would have been wait for oil prices to crash because they will. We know that. And then when they crash and when, you know, it becomes clear that Alberta is facing a, a large deficit, as I think will become clear fairly shortly here, then you put the corporate tax increase on the table and say, look, we have to wait, find a way to make ends meet. We're not willing to cut spending on hospitals, on schools, on things that matter for you. So we're going to ask our corporations that have done very well recently to pay just a little bit more. That's how you sell that move. You don't sell it uh because you want to please economists and other people who believe in the importance of balanced budgets. That is how you lose elections, not how you win them. Uh, We've got an interesting comment here. Uh, Always so grateful for our live chat real talkers. I mean, these are the most engaged of our live tuning audience, uh, Max and Alberta girl this morning says, I think everybody lacks an understanding of the rural voter, except the conservatives. Is that a fair comment? Uh, did, did the NDP lack an understanding of how to speak to or reach 
rural voters. I know nobody wants to sit here and say, no, it's a lost cause. They're not going to win in rural areas. You know, basically, you know, forget about door knocking, forget about campaigning there. That would be a bit of an asshole comment toward the people that work very hard on rural campaigns. And I don't think that there's ever a lost cause in politics. There's close to lost causes, but not completely lost causes. What's your take on the rural vote, the way that it played out? It was obviously huge. It's what saved the conservatives bacon. I think there are parts of rural Alberta that for the NDP and for progressives are a lost cause. So, you know, you look at Frank Graves' research, um, you know, he's done this in a couple of different contexts where he asked respondents questions about things like climate change, COVID-19, things that have factual answers, you know, are human beings responsible for climate, the climate warming for emissions going up? And then you score people on what he calls his disinformation index on a score of one to five. And the correlation between voting UCP, especially in rural Alberta and voting NDP is astonishing. Um, The NDP voters are the least misinformed, disinformed. The UCP voters are massively uh, the most disinformed. And so that's that's a hard group to reach with facts, with information, with with, you know, arguments that that live in, uh, I think, what we would consider the real world. Um, But. I think there are big parts of non-urban Calgary and Edmonton. They're very much available to the NDP. Um, you know, you up in Edmonton, surrounding Calgary and Red Deer and Lethbridge, uh, in Medicine Hat, in Grand Prairie. There's a lot of seats out there that they can absolutely win with the right approach. And I think, uh, you know, your listener is probably correct there that they need a better understanding of what really resonates with folks in those communities. Um, and, and, you know, and, Again, just to circle back to the the thing I keep talking about, a lot of that is about the economy, right? A lot of that is about economic uncertainty and the impact of of the energy transition, which you know I think has been sold poorly by the NDP. Uh, it has it has not been communicated in a way that gets people a little bit excited about it, gets them thinking of opportunities. It has sort of more been sold in a "you should know better" and "this is what's best for you" kind of language, and that that just doesn't work. Um, so they have time to think about how they can get their message out in these communities in a way that, that connects with people. They have time to find people in those communities who are good salespeople. I mean, look, uh, I'm not just trying to flatter you here, but like someone like you, uh, who is, you know, has roots in, in, in this province, understands sort of the things that animate rural communities, but also lives in the fact-based universe, uh, you would be a perfect candidate. And I'm sure they've tried to recruit you any number of times. So they need to find their their Ryan Jespersons in Medicine Hat and in Grand Prairie and get them in position early um, because if they keep sort of spotting the UCP 40 seats at the beginning of every election, it's going to be really, really hard for them to pull this off. We're talking to Max Fawcett. Uh, Max is the lead columnist uh, at uh, Canada's National Observer. And and for those of you that, again, are listening to the podcast, I'll let you know that Max is slyly enjoying his morning coffee from a Racky Pancholi coffee mug. And we're going to invoke Racky's name a little bit later in our conversation as we muse about potential future leaders of Alberta's NDP. But to be clear, Rachel Notley has not resigned and we're going to get into that in just a second in the meantime real talkers were you tuned in yesterday have you checked out our episode the the secret 
to Danielle Smith's success, why she won. Uh, One of those interviews was with Athabasca University political scientist, Dr. Mark Crawford, who joined us. And we talked about uh, we talked about populist politics and we talked about playing fast and loose with the economics of it. And both parties made big promises on spending. Mark, uh, Professor Crawford, gets into the implications of oil prices dropping. It's an episode well worth your time. That was presented by our friends at Athabasca University. That's Canada's open university who want to remind you that if you're looking to set yourself up for success in a competitive but emerging job market, if you're excited by the opportunities that you see around you, but you know you need to sharpen up your skills a little bit, get up to speed on where industry is going, you're going to want to take two seconds right now to check out Athabasca U. It's sure to have something that meets your needs, your ambition, and here's the best part, fits your lifestyle. Get a Canadian education online with Athabasca University no matter where you live. AU is designed to fit your life for ambitious people everywhere looking for more flexible approaches to higher education. You can get started today at AthabascaU.ca. Now, if you're already schooled up, if you've got your ticket as a journeyman electrician, or or maybe you're still figuring it out as an apprentice, Kubi Renewable Energy would love to hear from you because they're hiring right now. You can check them out online, including the projects that they're working on, residential, commercial, solar power systems across Western Canada, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Northwest Territories. They're working in the mountains. They're working on the prairies. They're helping Canadians achieve their sustainable energy goals. Plus, they've got great incentives for new employees looking to be part of the green energy movement. You can apply to join Team Kubi today. Get started online at kubienergy.ca. Friesen Brothers has been a staple in Alberta communities for more than 65 years. As a matter of fact, you know they're coming up on their 70th birthday still family owned a really remarkable success story well every month Friesen Brothers introduces a new family essentials easy family meal solution you can find it online at Friesen.com that's F-R-E-S-O-N these are simple but interesting recipes that can be made using products featured in the family essentials flyer and of course we're just entering barbecue season that means a lot of grilling and camping tips and this month's family essentials from marinades to ideas around s'mores yeah i know that will get your attention you can again find the full flyer online at friesen.com oh and by the way speaking of companies real talk sponsors that are hiring same goes with apex automation right now they're looking for canada's most skilled engineers is that you electrical instrumentation computer science process mechanical What about an electrician or an instrument tech? Apex is looking to bolster their team, both right here in Alberta and BC, as well as in their new field office in Houston, Texas. They're working on exciting projects in engineering, fabrication, automation. Plus, this is a company that truly and strongly believes in the power of its people. And the evidence is everywhere. You won't find a corporate culture anywhere else like you will at Apex Automation. As a movement, we have grown our support in every corner of this province. 
I'm very pleased that we'll, we, we will be welcoming at least 10 more MLAs to our caucus. who will form part of the largest official opposition this province has ever seen in its history. And that as a party, we earned the largest percentage of the popular vote in our party's history. So we have achieved tremendous growth and opportunity for our future and for the values that we all share. However, tonight I also know that we are all very deeply disappointed in the overall result. We had all hoped for a different one. That was Rachel Notley on election night delivering her concession speech. This after the NDP did certainly achieve some wins, Max. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the votes were up more than 100,000 over 2019. They knocked off some high-profile former UCP cabinet ministers, including the Minister of Health, Copping, and the Minister of Justice, Shandro. Those are two big ones. They saw wins in, in some of the so-called donut ridings or the bedroom communities, if you will, in the big urban centers. That was all part of the playbook that the pundits said the NDP would have to follow. And when it all comes down to it, like you write about in your column, and, and people can check it out again at nationalobserver.com, Rachel Notley's NDP needs to finish the job. 2,500 more votes or even 2,000 votes total in the right ridings in this election would have a completely different outcome. But it sucks to lose. And at the end of the day, you either win or you lose. Try to pick the brain of NDP leader Rachel Notley and her inner circle right now. What do you think they're thinking? I mean, I'm sure that, like she said, they're disappointed. Um, you know, my sense in talking to some people on the campaign was they, I don't think they thought they had it on Monday, but they thought they had a good shot. You know, it was sort of, you know, you're in poker and you're, you're hoping for that inside straight draw, right? You're not counting on it, but, but you, you hope that it comes and, the cards just didn't quite turn uh, in their favor. Um, you know, like I said, they, they have a lot to look in the mirror about here on this campaign. You know, I think the the lack of an economic message was crippling. Um, you know, the, 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 the relentless focus on Daniel Smith, I understand it, but it really never felt like they were giving people m as much to vote for as they were giving people something to vote against. And, you know, the, just a head scratcher because they came out with the, their economic platform and, and buried at the back of it that they would move the $10 a day daycare timeline up by a year and also have $10 a day uh, after school care. That's a huge win for parents. That's a huge win for parents in the ridings that they needed to flip and they barely talked about it. So I, I just don't understand some of the choices they made. Um, I think they overestimated Rachel Notley's popularity in Calgary. Uh, now, certainly the UCP's relentless attack on, on her drove that down, but she's not as popular here as she is up in Edmonton. That, that is just a fact. And they had a lot of really great candidates that they could have profiled a little more, that they could have given a little more shine. You know, uh, Najwan Aljunaid, who, who appears to have won in Calgary Glenmore, a uh, hugely talented, hugely impressive person. And it just never really felt like they elevated their candidates to the extent that they needed to. So. You know, they've they've gotten a lot of Calgarians to vote NDP for the first time. 
they'll be comfortable with it. They, they know they didn't turn into a pumpkin. They know the world didn't collapse because they, they ticked the, the orange box rather than the blue box. And, you know, they have the conditions in place to win uh, next time. Uh, you know, we're doing an electoral redistricting uh, at some point in the near future that should add more seats to Edmonton and Calgary. Um, the economy, you know, as we know, it, it was booming right now and booming economies usually are good for the incumbents, but it may not be as boomy next time. And as I wrote in my column, Justin Trudeau might not be prime minister. Um, that would take a huge card out of the UCP's deck. If they suddenly had to talk about prime minister Polyev, they can't play that entire anti-Ottawa shtick. We're going to defend you from him. We're going to defend you from his terrible energy policies. Well, guess what? If it's a different prime minister, there's nothing to defend people from. So I, you know, I'm not sure if she should stick around or not. That's obviously her call and the party's call. Um, and as much as there are talented people who could replace her, there are also people who could bring the NDP back to their 10 to, you know, five to 10 seat level. I think there are some potential leadership names I've heard floated that would be absolutely catastrophic down here. Um, just, uh, you know, a total Hindenburg level disaster. Like so who? They need, oh, I'm not, no way am I saying a name like that. But Come on, um, you well, know. Give, give us a hint. I mean, what do you, let, let me ask you this then. Are you talking about, you know, the lefties? In the party, like who would be who would represent or what political perspective, at least if you don't feel like picking fights here on Real Talk, uh, what would represent a Hindenburg level potential disaster for the official opposition? Yeah, more of the more of the left of the party, um, you know, up in Edmonton, more aligned with sort of the public sector and and more divorced from the business community, the 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 economic sort of wheelhouse down here in Calgary. Um, I just think they need a candidate who can speak that language in a way that's convincing. Now, my former boss, Shannon Phillips, who has been their finance critic for, for a number of years now, she is uh, amazing. She is more fluent on the economy and energy than I would submit anyone in the UCP right now. Um, and she would make a fantastic potential leader. But, uh, you know, that's that's for them to decide, not for me. I just think they need to bear in mind that if they're going to replace Rachel Notley, they need to make sure they're replacing her with someone who can win more seats in Calgary and more seats in sort of the outer suburbs, exurbs of Edmonton, Calgary, and the other smaller cities. Uh, I don't uh, they think, don't need to win more seats. In Sorry, Max, I didn't mean to step on your toes. I, 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 I know that a guy like you doesn't just accidentally or willy-nilly choose his coffee mug to come on a show like this where, you know, thousands of people are going to see it. You're using, you're drinking coffee from your Racky Pancholi mug, of course, the popular MLA from Edmonton White Mud, who is always on the short list of anybody, I think, who knows Alberta politics if they're talking about potential successors to Rachel Notley. Uh, Why do you choose that coffee mug? today max uh, just you know you pull one out of the pull one out of the cupboard and no uh, you never know what's uh-uh, <laughs> no i don't believe it for a second all right you, you think well look i'm I, I am a fan i think she's exactly what they need uh i think she has the right combination of um you know ability to communicate uh in touch with with sort of the right issues young social media savvy um, full of energy, speaks to, you know, we, we've, I've seen her down here in Calgary. She, she is a fish in water down here. Um, I think she would be very popular. And, and, you know, look, if anyone wants to try to say that a woman of color can't get elected in Calgary, look who our mayor is. Uh, Calgarians are much more progressive than I think sometimes people up in Edmonton give us credit for. Um, they just need to speak the language uh, of, of the economy and of jobs. And I know Rocky can do that. Um, I think she's incredibly talented. I think there are lots of talented people in the NDP. Um, so I, you know, if that conversation happens, I look forward to, to seeing how it unfolds, but 
you know, just sitting here from my perch in Calgary, wanting to remind people that for, for better or worse, fair or not, winning more seats in Edmonton is not the path to power. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, and I'm most fluent with sports metaphors, Max, uh, you know, you'll see a team that can, you know, make it into the playoffs or make it to the Western Conference finals or a hockey team that could go all the way to the Stanley Cup final but lose and get swept. And the analysis at the end of that season, well, there were successes to be celebrated, not the ultimate success. Sometimes the plan is to stay the course. And sometimes the plan is to look at a coach or a captain or a starting goaltender that did not fare poorly, that did a decent job and just acknowledge that we need to shake things up. What I'm saying is that sometimes successful coaches get fired sometimes. Sometimes they resign and step down. I mean, look at Paul Maurice, the Winnipeg Jets a couple of years ago. It happens so while some people may say there were a lot of things to celebrate about the NDP's performance in this election, it's not Rachel Notley's fault. She had an interesting take on Monday night. Here's what she told her supporters. Where we fell short, the responsibility rests entirely with me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. That's, that's the joys of being the leader. You know, it's, it's fine. It's just, it's a thing. Uh, you know, it's part of responsibility and accountability. Those are things we, we care about here. But I do know that at the same time, we ran a strong, principled campaign. And it was based on our beliefs. And it was based on our desire to create a better future for all Albertans. So that's Rachel Notley, who essentially says, this is on me to wear it. And I, and I mean, you'll see leaders say that in sport and business and politics all the time. I mean, that's kind of what comes with the territory. I'm not 100% sure that it is time to change horses, but I'd be curious to pick your brain. I'm not even sure that there would be consensus among NDP supporters right now on that, whether it's the right move or the wrong move to even be having these conversations right now. Yeah, I mean, I, it's definitely not the right move right now. I think... She understands, and and a lot of you know, I'm certainly her, her her advisors understand. We need to see how this Daniel Smith government actually governs. Um, yes, it's a majority, but it's a pretty slim majority. It's the, certainly the slimmest in Alberta's history, and we don't know if she can hold this caucus together. She says she can. Uh, it looks like she can now, although you know this is the the post election high. Everything is is hunky dory. Once she starts handing out cabinet seats, once she starts excluding people from cabinet. And when she starts making decisions that maybe upset certain people, the caucus might fracture. Uh, certainly that's been <laughs> the case uh, you know, over the last decade in, a, in conservative politics here in Alberta. So I think it behooves her to stay at least to see how this thing plays out and if, if, if Smith can hold uh, her party together. And then if it becomes clear that she can, that, you know, that this is going till 2027 or at least you know, a few years longer than, uh, than right now, maybe then she reassesses. I, I mean, I think we have to give... Rachel Notley, all the credit in the world for what she's done for the Alberta NDP, for the abuse that she's had to endure, the you know the just the the, the garbage that's been thrown at her. She might, might just be tired of it, you know. She might not want to put up with it again for another four years. And who could blame her for that? Um, nobody. If she decided to step aside, she would be the king or queen maker. She would be the most important and influential person, uh, I think, in Alberta NDP politics. And guess what? If the federal NDP is looking for a new leader anytime soon. 
boy, could they do a lot worse than her. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, th- th- that was rumored like four years ago and her name has has popped up. I don't know. Yeah, I'd be curious to know if the federal NDP feels like that's their best play right now as well. Interesting to hear from Jagmeet Singh yesterday, who says that the NDP in probably the most obvious statement in federal politics this year, that the NDP will not force a federal election. They will not withdraw their support of the federal liberals. The federal NDP is not ready to go to an election right now. It would bankrupt the party. Uh, so there's no way there. I thought that that was uh, pretty obvious. Yeah. So you, and, and, and by the way, Max, let me touch on something as well. You're talking about the potential fractured uh, United Conservative Party. And I know that, you know, f- friends of mine that are, you know, partisan, you know, and, and, and extremely committed supporters of the United Conservative Party poo-poo these rumors. They're actively doing it. Yesterday, we had an entertaining conversation, me and a pal. He says, all these rumblings of people sharpening their knives for Danielle Smith, all these rumblings of the United Conservatives unable to keep it together. He says, we just did, and we won an election. Uh, you know, so basically, people can zip it. But sometimes, Max, we know that people tune into and download Real Talk to hear some of the juicy rumors, the scuttlebutt. And I can't name names, and I can't name sources, and I can't confirm this, but I can tell you that some people in the know, reputable people are suggesting that there's a block of moderate conservatives that won their ridings on Monday night. The numbers are estimated to be between 8 and 12 that would or maybe are considering breaking off in a way it would be kind of like the opposite of the tea party in the u.s where you have a block of moderates that break away not to say they necessarily leave the party or start a new party but in a way it would be their way to remove in a sense the majority status of this government and force policy to stay on the rails i don't know if you're hearing anything along these lines as well but enough people are talking about it that i can't ignore it and Boy, would that ever be an interesting development. I mean, that would shake up a lot of cages at the Alberta legislature, to say the least. I mean, you could call them the weak tea party. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's possible. Uh, I've heard the same similar things. I'm not as, as looped into as you are with the conservative movement, but I, I just don't buy it. It reminds me of, of what we heard during the Trump era. And I'm not comparing Daniel Smith to Trump here, but you know, all these principled Republicans who were who were on the verge of, of standing up to him, and they never did. Uh, and I think, you know, certainly all these moderate conservative UCP MLAs, most of them are going to get put in cabinet. Most of them are probably going to get pretty good roles. Most of them want to be close to power. I, they're not the ones that I'd have my eye on. I'd have my eye on the ones like the gentleman who won in Jason Kenney's old riding of Calgary Lockheed, who believe truly sort of bonkers things um so bonkers that that daniel smith can't put them in cabinet and once they're not inside cabinet they're going to start to get annoyed they're going to get disgruntled they may decide you know in the same way that drew Barnes uh, eventually you know peeled off that that they can't abide whatever it is that daniel smith is supporting and we don't know what crises she's going to face you know no one saw covid coming for jason kenny and on the you know, on the same token we, we don't know what is coming for danielle smith but she's already admitted that she doesn't do well under pressure you know that that the, the the nazi comments stuff like that that was because she was you know under pressure having a hard time so what is going to happen when she has a hard time as premier you know where are the fractures going to sort of open up in her coalition i suppose it could be the moderates but i would not bet a single solitary penny on that happening 
You can read Max's columns at nationalobserver.com. The, the one that he's talking about right now was published just this morning. Rachel Notley's NDP needs to finish the job. Uh, Max, I'm going to scroll right down to the closer on your column here. And I want to read this to you because I, I'm not sure I 100% agree. Uh, or at least I'm not sure that there would be consensus in Alberta. You say, so no, Monday wasn't the result Alberta's NDP was hoping for, but it could easily set the stage for a much happier election night yet to come. You're right. They just need Rachel Notley to keep the faith, learn from the campaign's mistakes, and finish the job. Sure, it's an optimistic analysis, but there's a lot of people that believe that This was the last chance. Now, I mean, a lot can happen in politics, obviously, and you and I will talk about oil prices in just a second. I mean, this conservative government has vowed, I mean, they've introduced legislation that they cannot, will not run deficits. So if oil tanks, or like you're saying, when oil tanks, they could find themselves with their back against a wall. That in just a second. But a lot of people are suggesting that this was the time they had to do it. You know, you had people questioning the, the competence or the readiness of, of Danielle Smith based on some of her comments. I mean, the poppy comment was a tough one for her to, to navigate. There were the candidates like in Lacombe Pinoca. Uh, I can't believe and I can believe that she won resoundingly after her horrific comments. And, and we're going to be talking about that with Danielle Smith when she joins us next week. There were a lot of things that were happening and people were saying, this is the election the NDP can win. This is the time. The time is now. If not now, then Never. You don't necessarily subscribe to that, though. I don't. I think from a leader perspective, it was a very good opportunity. Um, From a macro conditions perspective, which more often than not is what drives election outcomes, uh, it wasn't very good. You know, the election or the economy is booming right now. Um, You know, the government just posted the biggest surplus in Alberta history. No thanks, by the way, to anything the government did. They just, you know, Won the won the lottery on oil prices, but they were able to use that money to you know really reinvest in a lot of areas where they had been cutting. Uh, and it's difficult to lose an election when oil prices uh, and oil revenues are as high as they are. So I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case in 2027 or whenever the next election is. Um, the the notion that you know if Daniel Smith gets pushed out, there will be a more moderate or or less combustible leader. I've seen no evidence of that. The conservatives keep pushing to the right. I would bet very heavily based on take back Alberta's role in the party that they will continue pushing further right. They may find Danielle Smith's pro-choice policies to be uh, a bridge too far for them. They may find her empathy to be uh, you know, not attractive and, and will find someone who is perhaps less sort of willing to listen to all sides. Uh, so I think the leadership side of it could be just as favorable for the NDP in 2027. Uh, we have the redistricting, which will add seats in their their strongholds. Um, and we have people moving to Alberta every day. Thank you, Jason Kenney and the uh, Alberta's Calling Campaign, who are from Toronto, who are from Vancouver, who are from these more moderate parts of the country, who did not grow up being weaned on conservative politics at the breast. Um, they are all potential NDP voters. Uh, the passage of time and the movement of things forward is good news for the NDP. So, you know, I, I, I can see why people are disappointed and pessimistic about the next election but i think structurally the conditions are probably going to be much much more favorable 
Can we talk oil prices? Like, I, I know if, for a lot of people, this is kind of Always. people. People go like that. This isn't like the most exciting subject, but it, it's actually relevant to everybody, um, and more relevant in Alberta than anywhere else in Canada. And, and I assume most people know this, but let us just say that when a, when a finance minister puts together a budget, when a government releases its budget, most especially in Alberta, one of the first things that journalists and members of the public will look to is where are they forecasting oil prices to be? Right, and this Alberta budget right now for people it, it, it comes in just under 80 bucks a barrel approximately about 78 bucks a barrel type thing and 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 that's where it bases obviously it's huge revenue projections and then revenue is obviously relevant to their expenditures and the two of those in that relationship determines whether or not there will be a deficit or a surplus i'm definitely oversimplifying the process but here's why it matters so much because for every dollar that oil drops it costs in a way there's significance of just under 700 million dollars a year to Alberta's economy. So if oil drops by five bucks or eight bucks, that's a big deal to the bottom line. Most especially because this conservative government, this party has promised Albertans, it's written itself into law that it will not run deficits. So let's talk about this. And I'm wondering if we can get even nerdier, Max, and you can help us understand the significance of like WGI West Texas Intermediate that dropped below 70 bucks yesterday caught everybody's attention meantime Western Canadian Select rallied a little bit and some people are pointing to that as reason for optimism can we get into this we we can always get into this I love getting into this um you know I getting into sort of the 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 mechanics of you know WTI versus WCS uh, that is that is not so much my strong suit. Um, you know, certainly we produce a lot of heavy oil, which is priced uh, as WCS, and so when that goes up, that is very very good for the provincial treasury. Um, the reason why it's firming up has to do with refinery issues down in the states, um, and and you know, there's lots of folks you can have on who who are much more knowledgeable about that than I am. But as to the you know the headline price. Look, I, I think that NDP supporters should be a little careful with the schadenfreude right now, because I think it's more likely that the oil prices end the summer at $85 than $65. Um, that's the near term. But, you know, in the medium term and the longer term, nobody knows. We, we, ha- we are in the middle of an energy transition right now. Uh, you know, the, the Tesla just became the top selling, one of their models just became the top selling vehicle in the world for the first time. Things are happening. Things are picking up. And... For government to pass legislation effectively handcuffing itself to the price of oil, right as the price of oil may be about to decline, could in retrospect be one of the dumbest things any government has done uh, in recent memory. Uh, because it forces them to do one of two things, neither popular. They cut costs, they, you know, they cut spending on healthcare and education, or they raise taxes. And that's not a place that I think Daniel Smith has any desire to go. But you know, I, I read something uh, on the internet, someone saying, you know, if, if the NDs had won this election and the price of oil had tanked again, they would have been un- unelectable for a generation. I'm sure they would take that. I'm sure they would take winning, winning government and dealing with low oil prices over being in opposition. I think Blaise Bomer uh, said, you know, a good, day in gov- a good day in opposition is worse than a bad day in government. Uh, and I think there's truth to that. But, you know... I, there's no guarantee that the price of oil stays where it is right now. And the government, the UCP government under Daniel Smith is limiting our range of options when we should be expanding them. Uh, you know, we should be budgeting off of $50 WTI, not 79. And if anything, if it comes over, you know, comes in anything over 50, 
that's gravy. We use it to pay down debt or we use it to save for the future. Um, but we are sort of the equivalent of a household that is making lots of money and is saving no, no money at all, right? We are, we are running at the very limits of our fiscal capacity. And that doesn't go well for households like that. Those are the ones that end up in collection. So, you know, I, I think that the UCP may be painting itself into a bit of a corner here, um, but I suspect that they don't really care. Yeah, and that's, um, it's because there, there's this, it's the whole messaging thing. It's, it's the line that you're expected to tow. And I understand, and this audience understands how politics work. But, but if you're a conservative in Western Canada, in Alberta in particular, I mean, we look even on the federal stage, Max. Look at look at conservatives that have tried to approach this from like a more moderate position. Like I think of Michael Chong, uh, five or six years ago, who like really paid a price for his like mere suggestion that maybe conservatives should have more legitimate climate policy, and people told him to get the fuck out. Like that's honestly how they approached it. And, and as a conservative seeking office in Alberta, let alone the premier's office. It's almost like you have to ignore where trends are going. It's almost like you have to say, we know what they're going to tell you about EVs and about solar power and about the future, but we know oil's not going anywhere. And everybody cheers. And then you get the big donations and then you get the big support. But it's, you know, uh, people talk about it, it looking out, I think, for the best interest of skilled workers in the oil patch. What I'm about to say here is not an insult. Like, yes. Yes, oil and gas workers. Yes, energy workers. You've done a ton for Alberta and Canada's economy. You've done a ton. You've kept people's homes heated in the winter. You've kept people able to commute to work. You've driven and made so much happen. You've displayed innovation. You have led the country in that context. But the fact of the matter is, at some point, we must acknowledge it is not a bad thing to set yourself up for future success, to insulate yourself from global and market trends. But talk about a just transition in Alberta and you act as though you're trying to storm the steps of the legislature and burn the building down. And so I find that in some circumstances, due to the political nature of politics, politicians handcuff themselves on being able to talk about the future and setting up its own citizens for success because of the now. Talk about the future sometimes is inconvenient in the now. And ultimately, I think, I hope that the public can recognize that we need to better serve ourselves by demanding more forward-looking policy from our politicians. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I just don't see it happening. Uh, the incentives are not aligned correctly, right? The, you know, the four-year electoral cycle, uh, the, you know, the, the limited shelf life of conservative leaders in this in this province they they don't have the luxury or certainly don't have the courage to think about what's going to happen in 2040 rather than 2024. Um, and they are, you know, representing interests of an executive class of the oil and gas industry that if they're given a, you know, an honesty pill, they, they definitely grudgingly accept that climate change is real. They're a part of the problem. They need to reduce their emissions, but that's someone else's problem, right? They want to get to the end of their careers whether it's in five years or 10 years, collect their bonuses, have their stock options vest, and then they're going to go move to the Okanagan and see a later Alberta. And we're going to be the ones that are here cleaning up the mess when it's all said and done. The conservative approach should be to prepare for that, to save money, to ensure that these companies, you know, have put proper down payments on their environmental liabilities. So we're not footing, you know, handing off a bill to the next generation of taxpayers. 
Um, but they seem to be very uh, conveniently inconsistent on that front. When, when a government is running deficits, it's always think of the children. But when our current government and, and conservative politicians want to run an environmental deficit or a climate deficit, it's no problem, right? Because what's more important for them is the value of their shares going up and them being able to purchase a property where they want to li live as they retire. You know, mm -hmm. they, there are not a lot of 35 year olds running oil and gas companies and it shows. Yeah, I, I remember not in his most recent appearance with us. Rick Bell was on on Tuesday, but it was several months ago, and he he offered his assessment of conservatism in Alberta through the years. And I dare anyone to suggest that Rick Bell couldn't qualify as a conservative. Like, so, try your best. I won't even hear it. But he went on a hilarious rant about uh, the brand of Alberta conservatism is on an island. He says conservatives here for years. You remember this, Johnny? They've spent like drunken sailors. I mean, he just went off and wildly entertaining. Uh, of course, you can find all of our past conversations, Real Talkers, uh, using our YouTube archive or, of course, our podcast archive as well. Uh, Max, we've kept you way longer than we wanted, but I want to ask you about one more thing, a column that you wrote before the election. OK, this was on May 25th. People can check it out at National observer.com the headline just how much crazy can alberta take you say we're about to find out now this is ultimately going to be the question and that's and this is no disrespect to danielle smith when i ask who's pulling the strings in the premier's office because her answer would probably be me but it's alleged it's asserted by this influence group take back alberta i'm going to be talking to their leader david parker next week by the way so circle your calendars everybody subscribe to our weekly email we'll let you know once we confirm which day it will be i think it's safe to suggest that's an episode of the show you won't want to miss but there's two fronts of accountability here for danielle smith on the one the socons represented by Take Back Alberta that have infiltrated and now control the UCP board that control a lot of the constituency associations. They're personally taking credit for getting rid of Jason Kenney and forcing the election. And then you have the moderates. You have the moderates that are worried about the future of the party, that are worried about the reputation of the party that, that might actually, you know, and I'm being facetious, of course they do, many of them, care about the people impacted by political policy. So the question is, who wields the stronger influence and ultimately performance wise on the job what are you expecting to see from danielle smith we'll find out i the, i think that's sort of the the question that everyone's trying to ask whether they're pundits or, or or just regular albertans is which version of danielle smith are we going to get uh and logic would seem to dictate that now that she's won the election and and the threat to her is going to come from within her party uh she will not be as moderate um, because it's, I don't think it's the moderates that are going to come for her. I think it is going to be the take back Alberta types who, who want every, I think Rick Bell was saying this, you know, that they needed to put water in their wine, but that's not how they roll. They want everything that they want and they want it right now. And I think if they see her moderating, if they see her making nice with Justin Trudeau or, you know, uh, woke people, whatever it is, um, they may move. Uh, I don't think that the moderates in her midst have the same courage. I don't think that there is a Liz Cheney in there who is willing to speak out if, if speaking out is required. Um, and I think the Take Back Alberta group could even come for those moderates. You know, they could try to purge them from the party the same way that, that Trump supporters have purged most of the moderates out of the Republican Party. So, um, you know, that that is how I think things will go. But you know, if there's one thing that Danielle Smith has shown is that she's capable of surprising Albertans. Um, 
She has overperformed expectations uh, in the leadership race, in the general election, and she may well overperform expectations here. I just saw a notification in my inbox. Uh, I'm a subscriber to the line. And uh, Jen Gerson has a column about how she might be the new Ralph Klein. And it's not that crazy. Um, you know, there is there is definitely a possibility that Daniel Smith is out within 18 months. There is also a possibility that she governs for eight years. Yeah. Um, she she is a total wild card in a way that Jason Kenney wasn't. Uh, you know, you knew who Jason Kenney was. He was incapable of learning. He was incapable of evolving. He is who he is. I don't think that's true of Danielle Smith. I think she is capable of, of growing, of changing, of, of moving uh, both forwards and backwards. So, uh, you know, I think as a journalist, you know, it's funny. I had some uh, some UCP supporters trying to troll me saying, oh, you must be crying so many tears right now. Uh, they're tears of joy as a, as a journalist. They're tears of joy as a pundit because... I couldn't ask for a better situation uh, than having her as premier to write about for the next little while uh, because we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, we played a clip uh, on yesterday's show. People can check it out. You know, why she won is the name of the episode. And, and Daniel Smith in her acceptance speech, I'm sure that most Albertans and maybe most Canadians heard it. She said, I'm going to make mistakes. She said, we all know that. And she essentially made a commitment to learn from those mistakes. And I, I, Quite honestly, regardless of what you think about any political candidate, I appreciate the spirit of that comment. Max, let me ask you this in closing. Uh, you touched on the difficulty that a conservative premier, you know, whether it's Scott Moe or, or Danielle Smith or other, but those two would be the most prominent. Um, the ammunition that they would water down, even lose in the river if Pierre Polyev were to form the next federal government. Do you think it's going to happen? The liberals sure seem to be trying to make it happen. Um, you know, they're they're they are behaving uh, exactly the way a government that is trying to lose behaves. Uh, I don't know if that's just sort of insular ten years in government tone deafitis, or you know, there's something else at work there. But you know, I think the stuff around David Johnston and and the the public inquiry has been tone deaf. I think a lot of their sort of communications on climate policy lately have been a little tone deaf. Uh, you know, the greatest gift they have is that it's Pierre Polyev as the opposition leader and not Aaron O'Toole. Uh, you know, it's it's this bizarre situation where we have a prime minister and a leader of the opposition who both seem like they're trying to lose. Uh, and it, it maybe will come down to who is less good at losing. Um, but there's a very real possibility that Polyev wins the next election. It won't be a majority. It'll be, you know, it'd be a, a weird minority situation. But that would totally upend Alberta politics. You know, conservatives ever since Justin Trudeau won, have had this easy out for anything. Just blame Justin. You know, pipelines get blocked. Blame Justin. Oil prices go down. Blame Justin. Um, and Inflation. It, it has, I think made them a little, a little fat and lazy uh, mm -hmm. in in the way that they practice politics. So if he wins, if Polyev wins, uh, their job gets much much harder here in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And and like I said, you know, it turns the table maybe even more in the favor of a of an NDP government in the next provincial election. Yeah. One of the stories to watch is what the relationship looks like between Daniel Smith and Pierre Poliev, right? I mean, never mind Daniel Smith and Justin Trudeau. That'll be a fascinating one. I think this is the first time we've ever gone a full hour, Max. I always love picking your brain. Um, and uh, I want to let people know, of course, they can check out your column. It's just been out for, for a couple of hours now. If you're listening to this live, if you're listening to it later, uh, make sure you check it out at nationalobserver.com. Argues our guest, Max Fawcett, Rachel Notley's NDP, needs to finish the job. Thanks, Max. 
Anytime. Let's do another hour soon. Yeah, sounds good, buddy. You can give Max a follow on Twitter at Max Fawcett. Uh, we'll get to some of your comments in the live chat in just a second. But, but every, you know, for those of you that would be ready sort of like to take a bit of a breather from all the poly talk, right? The, the election's done. Can, can we get back to some normalcy? Can we, I don't know, maybe head out to the mountains for a couple of minutes here? Every Wednesday on the show, we present in partnership with our friends at Tourism Jasper, My Jasper Memories. And at this time of year... One of the coolest ways that you can explore Jasper National Park is with the Moline Lake Boat Cruise. Uh, now, you can check this out online at malinelake.com. This is something that we personally have done as a family, and it is an absolutely incredible experience. Moline Lake, if you didn't know, is the longest lake in the Canadian Rockies. And, of course, it's also the home of the world-famous Spirit Island, which can only be reached by boat. There's no trails. There's no roads that lead to this iconic spot. And by the way, canoeing to Spirit Island, I know some folks do it, but it would take all day. So if you want to go to the end of the lake where a glacier awaits you, uh, for a lot of people, you might take a couple of days, right? As you move down that lake, you can see the water slowly change color to become more and more turquoise. It's phenomenal. I mean, it's just an incredible experience to see with your own eyes. On the tour, uh, you have interpretive guiding along the way, and, and then you're able to take a break at Spirit Island itself. Now, these are in the motorized watercraft that we're talking about. So for us as a family, it was perfect. At the time, Wyatt was five years old, and he was just fascinated by what he was seeing. The guides and their, their command of the stories of the indigenous history of the region, as well as the history over the last hundred years or so, the way that they blend that commentary together truly is impressive i love a good story and this is something that's pretty cool too if you happen to be an alberta resident you can save up to 20 percent on the experience ages five and under are free anytime we're never going to forget our time out there and and i guarantee you that we're going to do it again i mean i wouldn't have to be convinced let me tell you, you can check out our photos of it on my Instagram. If you follow me at Ryan Jesperson, this was back in September of 2021. That Spirit Island in the background there, that photo that I'm showing you. You're actually not allowed, Johnny, to walk out onto Spirit Island. It is sacred yeah. territory. It's been a, it's been mm -hmm. a gathering place of, of enormous uh, spiritual and cultural significance for indigenous uh, for First Nations that have visited the space, and a number have over the course of millennia. I mean, it's just an incredible... When you're there, it's got this kind of a... almost a quiet reverence to mm -hmm. it. And uh, a really, really wonderful way to explore Jasper. So again, this is the time of year when these Maline Lake boat tours are wide open to the public. It's a perfect way to spend a morning. You can check it out online again at malinelake.com. See a lot of people in the live chat sort of uh, with different opinions on what it would take to win rural or different opinions on what it would take for the NDP to, to win an election four years or, or maybe less than now. You never know. And this is way too early uh, to start prognosticating when that might be. And then, of course, you're going to light a fire under any talk radio or talk show audience in Canada when you start to talk about the direction that federal politics are going. And no wonder 
right? I mean, we're looking down stateside now and you've got Ron DeSantis and, and Donald Trump fighting it out, the early front runners. I think it's safe to call them for that Republican nomination. And Trump's already got his nickname. Did you see yesterday talking about Ron DeSanctimonious? That's mm-hmm. the one that he's yeah. going to go with. So, so Trump's throwing down, throws his former comms director, his former White House spokesperson under the bus, uh, Kaylee McElhenney, <laughs> ripping her, saying that her performance on Fox News was unprofessional, that Fox needs to go with the real stars. Mm-hmm. I mean, vintage Trump throwing it out there. Yeah. And, you know, whether or not that'll be an influence on Canadian politics, I think that it's probably safe to suggest it will be, as it has been yeah. over the past few years. So there's a lot of <sighs> balls in play right now. Well, I'm going to be sending you a lot of invoices for therapy, acupuncture, massage. <laughs> okay. If Polyev is prime minister, Mr. Danielle is our premier and Trump is president of the United States. I'm just letting you know ahead of time, Ryan. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. We'll keep an eye out for him in the inbox. <laughs> uh, Corey says, you know, unless there's a conservative in power in Ottawa, it's kind of expected that Alberta is going to fight with Ottawa. Like Klein fought with the liberals lots. I mean, sure. I mean, like, you know, you look at Peter Lougheed's record. What is Peter Lougheed most known for? I mean, that's a big question, isn't it? But, but one of them was for, for asserting uh, Alberta's influence, and, and you might use the supercharged word of, of sovereignty. It wouldn't exactly be accurate. Historians and political scientists would take issue with that word. But but Peter Lougheed was most known for going to the wall with Ottawa for Alberta and, 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 and forming essentially the base of Alberta's economy and the biggest players in Alberta's economy. I mean, for kickstarting the oil sands, for investing in that tech, oftentimes without the expressed partnership or support of the federal government. So that's absolutely true. It's politically inconvenient for a conservative premier to have a conservative federal government because it's a lot tougher to oppose. But I'm not convinced that the conservatives can't win this next federal election. As a matter of fact, right now, if I had to call it, which would be a fool's errand, but hey, it's a talk show. Let's do it for fun. I would suggest that Pierre Poliev is the one to beat next federal election. I think that Justin Trudeau will go one more round. I think he wants to take on Poliev in an election. What would that debate look like let's get ready to rumble that would be as ed whalen used to say down in calgary for stampede wrestling for a lot of years a ring a ding dong dandy (laughs) that'd be a ring a ding dong dandy if i've ever seen one and so we'll see Sharon on our live chat says, I want to watch that Take Back Alberta interview, Jespo, you, David Parker. The first question should be Take Back Alberta from whom? That will be the first question. That's whom? the question that I asked. And whom? I did Google, should it be whom or who? And it is whom. It is whom. So there you are. Take Back Alberta from whom? But Parker reached out himself and said, let me answer the question. He said, bring me on the show. I'll answer the question. I said, well, that's what talk shows do. We pick people's brains. We seek to understand. And so we will. And we'll keep you posted on that when that interview is going to be. You know, these interviews don't happen without sponsors like our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And they want to remind you that right now, the summer blizzard treat menu is out. It's ready and waiting for you at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, my home location in Westmount, or of course in Sherwood Park at baseline road i always want to give a shout out to the baseline road dq they sell more soft serve than any dq in canada what legit the folks of sherwood park love their dq soft serve (laughs) from the baseline road location don't forget they've got the reese's caramel pretzel blizzard treat available right now Uh, this is the one that salty sweet thrill ride 
Uh, crunchy pretzel and peanut trail leading to world-famous DQ soft serve. I love it. I've tried it, and I think you will love it, too. It's June's Blizzard Treat of the Month at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. We've got Trash Talk ready to rock tomorrow. Wanted to let you know, for personal reasons, we're going to be celebrating a family member's life. My family will be this weekend. And so our last episode, our final episode of this week is going to be tomorrow on Thursday. That means Trash Talk comes early. This entire pile of paper... John hates this. I know I got to get the iPad going, John, but it's just easier for me to hold piles of paper. This is trash talk right now. Think like, about the is, earth. Think about, I am thinking about the earth, but I, <laughs> at least we're going to recycle these, I promise, after we fire this thing up. Trash talk's coming tomorrow, which means your deadline to submit to talk at ryanjesperson.com is coming up. And of course, it's presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. You know, if you're a decision maker for a business or maybe a municipality in Edmonton, Whitecourt, Regina, and area, Alberta and Saskatchewan, you're going to want to take two seconds to request a quote at localenvironmental.ca. You could save money, not just that, but get better service as well on your garbage, residential collection, recycling, water hauling, whatever it is, keep it local with localenvironmental.ca. Do you have an outdoor space that could be brought to life that needs to be brought to life? Or you may be thinking about selling your home. You got to improve that curb appeal. Or maybe you've got a big anniversary party coming up later this summer and you'd love to get that backyard looking like you know it can. Don't delay. Get in touch with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. I love their portfolio link on their website because you can get into some of the projects that they're really proud of. They've got this ultra-modern trapezoid house, and you've got to landscape stuff like that specifically. There's got to be thought behind it, but also functionality, right? From modern to traditional and everything in between, Eden Landscaping's projects have one thing in common, and that's happy clients. You can find them online today at landscapeedmonton.ca. And a big shout out. We're going to keep saying this for as long as these fires are burning. We are thinking about the men and women that are out there battling these wildfires on the front lines. You know, Complete Care Restoration is the only sponsor of Real Talk that honestly, on the record, hopes that you never have to call them. But if you're one of those families that has been impacted by fire, they're going to help you get back on your feet. It's what they've done in communities across the province that have been impacted by wildfire. It's what they've done for families whose lives have been impacted to a great degree by floods. It could even be mold or asbestos that maybe you've just discovered in the middle of a renovation project. Leave it to the experts, the trusted team at CompleteCareRestoration.ca. Now, as tomorrow is the final day of the week, the final episode of the week for those of us at Real Talk, it also means that we're going to present our Real Talk Roundtable on a Thursday. And I want to let you know that this is going to be one you won't want to miss because we're doing a crossover episode with our friends, the co-hosts of the Bad and Bitchy podcast. Yeah, that's right. Kristen Rayworth and Erica Eiffel are going to join me here in studio. Erica, originally an Edmonton gal, is visiting from out east, which means that we're going to have coffees together or, I don't know, maybe crush a couple beers. We'll see how it goes. The fact is, there will be no punches pulled as we talk provincial and federal politics, plus that trash talk you're not going to want to miss. We want to hear from you, Real Talkers. You know where to find us. Hit up the contact link on our website.
Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.